Hey guys, good evening. How are you guys doing? You guys doing okay? Average, pretty regular day, awesome. Hey, we're jumping into Ruth 3 tonight. Um, hopefully you had an opportunity to, to read that before we jump into it. Um, we are going to go through Ruth 3, and um, I don't know, man, I when I was going through this, I was kind of struggling to pull things out of it, and then it was like, oh, wow, okay, there's there's this and there's this. And uh, and I hope tonight is just an encouragement to you um, as we jump into this. So chapter one, we saw really quickly, just to recap, um, chapter one of Ruth, we saw how um, Elimelech took his family over to uh, Moab and um, through a lot of death and tragedy, what was left was Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. And they came back from Moab to Bethlehem. And, uh, and Orpah stayed in Moab, whereas um, Naomi and Ruth came back together to Bethlehem. So that's, that's ch- basically chapter one. Chapter two is we see that um, as they get back into Bethlehem and they see God moving, um, Ruth is like, hey, I want to help the family. And so she goes to the, to the fields to glean. We saw that that's kind of like a, 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 a measure of God's provision for those who are widowed or orphaned and um, to, to, to take care of the poor, basically. Um, and that was in chapter 2, and um, that's where Ruth meets this guy, Boaz. And she doesn't know this, I think, don't think she knows this yet, but she meets him and... Um, the exchange, and Boaz is like, who is this person? And he's like arranged protection for her. I think Boaz knew that she was family. She comes home with what she gleaned, and she tells Ruth, she says, hey, um, I was in Boaz's field, and, or she tells, sorry, she tells Naomi, I was in Boaz's field, and Naomi's just freaking out. She's like, man, the Lord is blessing this. The Lord is blessing this because of what happened, what took place. God is in this. And I think that's pretty amazing. We were talking about how, you you know, you get to that moment where, like, you know, you look back and, and maybe you saw God's hand all over, like, what you've walked through or what you've been through. And, and all of a sudden you have that aha moment where it's like, okay, I am right where God wants me to be. And um, we're going to see more of that tonight, but the major theme that we see in Ruth is this idea of providence, this idea that God is working in and through like natural events in our lives to bring about supernatural outcomes. He has a plan. He has a purpose. He has things that he wants to accomplish but one thing we haven't done is we haven't really looked into kind of the history of the word providence. So um, it's a combination of two Latin words, uh, pro and video. Pro and video. Pro means before. So, so uh, um, coming before something, preceding. Video means seeing or knowing. So being able to know before it's happened or being able to see when it happens or... or um, being able to know that something is coming down the line. And, you know, this brings into question our whole conversation about 
providence versus free will and do we have agency do are are we able to actually make our own decisions or or does god ultimately influence us in such a way that that he's making the decisions for us and um, one of the best ways that i heard it uh, best analogies no analogy is perfect but i i heard this and i thought man this is really really good um so sally looks at joe and she says hey I'm going to marry Joe. Like she's decided. That's my guy. So two years later when they're exchanging vows, is he there by his own volition or is he there because she like made him or influenced him or, and so, um, I like that analogy. I think it's a good, because I think we have this involvement, this synthesis between us and God, and I definitely believe that he has foreknowledge, meaning like he knows what's coming. He knows what decision I'm going to make. But for me, that doesn't mean that I have any less of an ability to choose. I think he just knows what I'm going to choose. And, and that's where I tend to settle things in that realm. And so if we look on the horizon, sorry, the horizontal line, okay, we have agency, but things seem chaotic or they seem um, coincidental or, or happenstance or haphazard. Um, so we're, we're looking around and we see this um, perspective of what's available to us and we see that, well, maybe it is just a coincidence that I was there in that room on that very day that that person had a word for me and that word steered me in this direction and 10 years later I know what God's moving me into right maybe it was just a coincidence um but if we look on the vertical right God is on the throne God is in control he's weaving natural events together to bring about his purposes and so God is behind the scenes. We're going to go ahead and jump into chapter 3. And um, we're going to move the, through this pretty quickly. There's not a ton of verses in chapter 3. Um, but I think there's a lot that we can take away. Verse 1. One day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women... You have worked as a relative of ours tonight. He will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. You know, and so as we kind of jump into this, a couple things is we see Naomi kind of taking this mentorship role with Ruth. Um, if you remember back to chapter one, you know, she was bitter. She was angry. She lost her husband and both of her sons. So it's just tragic circumstance. And God left her with Ruth and Orpah. And Orpah went back to her people in Moab, and then it was just Ruth and Naomi. And they were coming back, and they arrived back in Bethlehem. And we see a little bit of a different Naomi tonight um, in, in by chapter 3. Um, there are three kinds of people. I heard this the other day. Um, those who make things happen, they get stuff done. Then there's those who are the observers, people who kind of like go with the flow kind of folks. And then there are those who are just totally oblivious to like what planet they're on, right? Um, but Naomi kind of strikes me as that woman who's like making things happen because she knows what is good. 
You see, she comes from a background, a history of trusting Yahweh. She comes from a background of, of um, their tradition and, and their faith in Bethlehem. And then, yes, they got into a bad place and, and maybe they doubted their, their uh, Yahweh's provision and, and so they ran. And it seems like she's really taking that to heart. It seems like she's learning from this and she's coming back and she sees a good thing happening and she's like, I'm going to try to make some things happen here. Um, I think God is using her initiative and her grit uh, to get some things done. She's in agreement that Ruth should only go to the fields of Boaz because he is their kinsman. And we're going to learn uh, a, a lot more about what that is. And I think it's a really beautiful cultural thing. Um, I don't know if it would fly today, but uh, we'll learn about why it's important for this story and what God is doing in and through their culture. Um, but it says that Boaz is winnowing barley. We talked about the threshing floor last week. Um, they would bring all the, the harvest. They would lay it on the threshing floor. It was usually like a raised high up area. And they would, they would throw what they harvested in the air. And the wind would catch all the chaff and it would allow the grain to fall back to the ground. And that's how they would separate the chaff from the grain. And it says that this is what uh, Boaz is doing. He's winnowing the barley. He's, he's at the threshing floor. Um, and it's interesting just, you know, the timing. The timing as we're talking about providence, as we're talking about how God moves. Think about timing. How does he use timing to, um, uh, to, to just move in certain ways or... Um, draw our attention to certain things like maybe you were present and you saw something happen and it grabbed your attention and that came to be something very important in your life. I think God works a lot through his timing. Verse three, Naomi says to Ruth, wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. And then Ruth said, I'll go and do what you have asked. Um, This sounds weird, right? It's kind of like, what's going on here, you know? Um, and we're going to get into a lot more about why, uh, why this is important, why this is a huge part of what's going on. Um, but, but what I think is important here is um, Naomi seems to have a real grasp on, like, what's practical and what's, what's, um, what's needed for the season, right? Um, Na Naomi and Ruth are together. They don't have protection. They, um, it, it, they don't have, um, in, in a sense, a, a, a guy who's taking them in, who's giving them a house and, and is providing uh, for them. And, and she sees that God is moving things into place for Ruth. God is moving things into place for Ruth. And uh, so she just gets right on out there and says, hey, you need to go, to, go, go when he's sleeping, go to his feet, uncover his feet, and just lay down there. And um, I think it's interesting because this is obviously, according to the story, this is a huge element to the story. But what's interesting is that um, this isn't 
It's not like God said, do this. It's not like God spoke these words. It's not like God said, um, you know, uh, hey, Naomi, I need you to say this to Ruth. Ruth just said it. Ruth just said it. And what I think is interesting is sometimes, um, and I I was talking with somebody last week about this a little bit, is um, when we are trying to discern God's will in our lives, sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in like, does he want me here or does he want me here? Or, um, you know, we're putting these decisions before God and, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. But sometimes I think God wants us to just be practical and say, okay, does this make sense? And if it does, go for it, you know? Um, and, uh, and so I, I tend to, um, I don't know what this is. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, squirrel. Um, I tend, to, I tend to go on the side of like, has God burdened your heart for something specific? If he has, you need to chase after that thing. You have to chase after that thing. We talked about last week about how if you don't know, go, get moving. If you're, if you're in a place in your life where I'm like, I'm not sure where God wants me or what he wants me doing, go try stuff. Go do things. Get busy. We talked about how Paul, you know, went over here and then um, the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to go over here. And he's going over there and the Holy Spirit said, no, I want you to get over here. And it was like he was constantly moving and he was taking initiative and going places. Maybe maybe he was kind of just being practical and going places. And that was when God said, no, I want you over here. And so I think there's value in going. Uh, But I also said last week, I said, I think there's also value in waiting sometimes. But I think if God has not burdened your heart with something specific, I think he's kind of leaving the decision up to you. And maybe that's when you just get practical. Maybe that's when you kind of think through, okay, well, what just makes sense in my situation? Maybe it's a job situation, maybe a relationship that you're praying about. God, would you give me guidance on this relationship situation? And and, uh, and, and you're not hearing anything specific and you've maybe you've fasted, maybe you've gotten yourself into a place where you're really wanting to hear intentionally from God speaking into your life and you're just not hearing anything. Maybe he's just telling you, hey, I'm leaving the decision up to you. I think that's totally possible. I think God does that probably more than what we realize. I have um, conversation with high schoolers often about, you know, they say, well, what college does God want me to go to? I applied to this college and this college and this college and this college, and they all accepted me, and I don't have a clue which one he wants me to go to. And I think at that point, it's like, where do you want to go? And, and, and what looks like it's practical, and so I love that about Ruth, I mean, sorry, about Naomi is that she's kind of just getting practical. She's saying, look, here's our kinsman. He has a field. You're gleaning from the field. And she's advising her to go do something that's going to communicate something really powerful here in just a moment. But also be flexible. Be, pow- be, um, be practical and flexible. And flexible. So, you know, as you're um, thinking about it and you're saying, May- maybe uh, I want to go to this school because this lines up perfectly with what I want to do with my life or whatever, what God's given me passion for. Um, just be ready. If like, if he 
says, wait, no, like, uh, yeah, actually, I do want you over here. That happens, right? We saw that with Paul. Like, he's headed over to Bithynia, and, and the Holy Spirit gives him a vision of Macedonia and this guy, and he's, and he's got to go over there. So be practical and flexible. Be practical and flexible. Um, so just real quickly about this act of uncovering his feet. Okay, this is a part of something way bigger that we're going to talk about in just a second. But why? What, where's the practicality in you know uncovering his feet and and these kinds of things? And and I think first and foremost, right, waking him up like she wanted to wake him up at nighttime. It was dark, um, but also an act of submission. And I love um, I love Ruth's behavior in all of this. It's almost like she's submitting to the process. She's submitting to you know how. How does Naomi see this practically working out? And she kind of just submits to it. And, but this, this act of laying at his feet and uncovering his feet is just, it's kind of an act of submission um, and just kind of saying, hey, here I am. Um, so verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating, drinking, and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and laid down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. So real quick, picture the scene with me. Um, what they did as they're, you know, um, harvesting the grain, they would put it in this huge pile, and they would lay at the end of the day when they're done and they've eaten and they've had their fill, um, they would lay with their head facing the pile and their feet out in a circle around it. So it almost looked like spokes of a, of a wheel or something like that. And that was to protect this pile of grain, their harvest. And here is Boaz, he's done for the day, he's laid down, he's asleep, and she comes, she uncovers his feet and lays at his feet. Verse 9, he says, who are you? And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord, and this is coming from Boaz, the Lord bless you, my daughter. He replied, this kindness is greater than which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. Like, okay, did she ask him something? What did, what did she ask him exactly? All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. So what, what in the world is going on here? I want to draw your attention really quickly to this word, um, guardian redeemer, guardian redeemer. There's a law. Okay, so a couple things. Uh, if we go back to Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel talks about taking somebody under your wing. It's the same, the same um, word there in the Hebrew as wing and garment, literally garment. Um, so taking somebody under your wing, protecting them, um, bringing them into um, closeness to you, proximity, right? You're, clean, you're, you're bringing them in. And so there's obviously a sense of protection there, but it's more than that. This, this law that we see um, back in Deuteronomy 25.5 is this idea of a leveret marriage, a leveret marriage. Obviously, it's not something we practice in our culture today, but it helps give a beautiful um, 
more full picture of what's going on here. Because Ruth is actually asking Boaz to marry her just in what she's doing. By laying at his feet, by uncovering his feet, she is asking him as their family's kinsman redeemer to marry her. And she knew, and it's interesting because she comes from Moab. These are not her people. These are not her customs, right? She didn't say to Naomi, she didn't say, look, that's not how we do things in Moab. No, she said, I'm going to do what you asked me to do. And she's taken on the culture and the practices of the Israelites. But in the Hebrew, this word, redeemer, is goel. And the idea here is that there was a man chosen in each family that would be the redeemer for their whole family. So if somebody in the family got sold into slavery, okay, because that was going on during this time, the redeemer would go and try to redeem that person out of slavery. Or if there was a dispute between the family and another family, that redeemer would be the one that would fight for the family. And here, um, in this specific context, if there was a guy, and you can look it up in Deuteronomy 25.5, if there was a guy who didn't have uh, a child, okay, but he was married, if he died, his wife would oftentimes be, she would go and be married to somebody in the family, this redeemer. And the idea there is that that relationship would, per, would protect their family name. It would, um, it would honor um, the, the deceased husband's name. They would um, have a child with his name, and he would be the redeemer of the family. Now, I get this is weird and definitely not anything we would, we would go into today. Um, but it's interesting, this idea of a kinsman redeemer. And when we think about redemption in Christ and um, we think about how Christ is the bridegroom of the church and we are his bride and he's redeemed us. And, and I think there's so much overlap and so much that we can take away from the way that Boaz approaches this relationship. He's kind. We see him as a kind person, a person who has character. And, and one thing I just want to just, on a side note, mention in terms of relationships, um, I know it's difficult, right? We, we just went through that whole series. Relationships are hard, but I believe, and, and we try to practice this in our marriage, is that there's never a reason to be unkind. There's never a reason to be unkind. And we see that in the character of Boaz right here. Uh, verse 12. Although it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night. And in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing... As surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Now, I know in our culture, it's like 
quick for us to jump in and say, okay, something happened there, maybe something unmoral. Um, but I don't think that's what's going on at all. I think he's just literally saying, hey, pass the night here. Pass the night here because she's come and she's requested something huge in her life. This isn't, this isn't like, yeah, thanks, okay, see you later. Um, this, is, this is a big, a big thing. And this is where the drama comes in because, um, you know, obviously she is interested in Boaz and we see from chapter one or uh, from chapter two that Boaz is interested in her. But here we find out at this last moment that there may be this little glitch that keeps Ruth from Boaz. It's interesting his response, right? It's not like he... Um, you know, calling up Naomi and saying, hey, can you go? We don't know who this guy is, this other family member. It's not like he called Naomi and said, hey, can you go talk to this guy for me and like maybe put in a good word and, and, and you know, just try to like convince him not to be the kinsman redeemer so that I and Ruth can be together. It's not like he did that. And it's not like he um, went to the guy and, and even bribed him or tried to pay him off. And, and for me at least... Maybe you connect with this. For me, when I am going through life and I can be all the way on this side and look back and see God's hand over all these events in my life, it's here after seeing all of this that I really struggle to trust because there's a lot on the line, which is dumb. It's weird, right? Because, I mean, Literally, the testimony is like, I can see God's hand and, and he's brought me all this way and then I'm here and this is where I get really nervous because I'm thinking like, man, there's so much on the line. Um, I'm really close to stepping into that thing that God has called me to do and being equipped for that thing and yet there's this, this glitch in the process, maybe God didn't see this. Maybe he didn't know that this was going to happen. And all of a sudden, I want to get involved. Now I want to sink my hands to this and take control of the situation and say, I'm going to do something to make this work out, right? And I can obviously say, like, it's in line with God's will, right? I mean, and this is where I really struggle to trust, and this is where I want to take control. But what I love about Boaz's response is he's like, look, we have, we have this already figured out. We have a process. And he's trusting the process. He's trusting that if this is what God really wants, he's going to submit to it. And so many times, um, yeah, just I, I felt like I wanted to try to control it or change it or manipulate it instead of just trusting the process. There's so much at stake. Verse 14. So she laid at his feet until morning. She got up before anyone could recognize, could be recognized, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. So uh, measures, ephahs, 
Uh, we talked about last week, she gathered, she gleaned an ephah, and she brought that home, and that was about a month's worth of barley. This is like six months' worth of barley, so I can't even imagine trying to carry that much food, but that's what he gave her, and he wanted her to go back to Naomi. He didn't want her to go back empty-handed. So when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did it go? And she told her everything that happened. It's interesting here that um, Naomi responds. How does she respond? She says, then wait, my daughter, until, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So what's the, what's the matter? Um, Boaz is a kinsman redeemer. There's somebody else that's more closely related to Ruth. And so that guy, by their custom, has to pass for Boaz to actually have the opportunity to um, be that kinsman redeemer. And I think, honestly, to be in a relationship with somebody that he really cares a lot about and has, has cherished. But Naomi says, wait. Now, last week we talked about go. Right? If you don't know, go. And I think that's so true. If you don't know, go. But I also think if you do know, maybe it's time to pause and wait and see what doors God is going to open up. Maybe that's that moment where you look back and, and you've seen that and you've tried different things, but you look back and you see God has orchestrated all these things and he's brought you into this place. And maybe there's that thing where it's like, oh my gosh, if I can just get this worked out, if I can get the, the math to add up, if I could relationship, if, I, if this relationship would just work, if I could do this one thing, make this one compromise, then this relationship would work and, and God would be in it. And maybe that is the very moment where we bow and trust and just wait, wait it out and trust God. Um, yeah. It's really easy um, as you're kind of going along this path and you're seeing God's providence move to get really excited and to feel super confident um, in what he's doing. But it's tough when, when you've seen him moving and you start to develop this idea like, okay, God is in this. God is moving. God is definitely, this is the trajectory that he wants me on. And then you hit a roadblock and all of a sudden you're doubting. You're like, okay, God, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Is this really what you want? And at this moment, so great that Ruth had Naomi in her life because Naomi said, you need to wait. And actually, if you, uh, the, the, the real translation here is you need to sit down. You need to sit down. I'm thinking like I'm trying to picture this moment and Ruth is freaking out, man. God, uh, I, I thought God, you know, this Yahweh guy wanted me to be with Boaz and, and all this. And then all of a sudden, here's this situation and I, I'm hitting this roadblock and she's probably pacing back and forth. And I could totally see Naomi saying, sit down. Just pause. Because Boaz is submitting to the process. We should submit to the, to the process also. 
So what do we see? We see kindness. We see the character of Ruth. We see kindness and we see the character of Boaz. We see the grit and the get it done attitude of Naomi. And we're left in chapter three with this cliffhanger. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, we know that there's this, this issue, that there's this other guy who might want to be the kinsman redeemer. But we know that Boaz wants to be the kinsman redeemer. Let's pray. Father, um, <laughs> it's so hard when there's um, such a difference in culture and some really weird things in your word that uh, it's hard for us to pull out principles sometimes that are relevant. And God, I just see this beautiful story. I see your provision. I see your providence. I see your protection. I see your healing in Naomi's life with all the tragedy. I see your healing in Ruth's life with her losing her husband and being a widow. And I see... um, I see you providing for her uh, precious heart as she's in Bethlehem. So God, help us to, as we engage with this text, help us to draw away those important things like pausing and waiting and trusting when we know, when we know, when we know, when we know where you want us to be. Maybe it doesn't make sense. Maybe it, it's, it's too hard or or whatever, maybe we just need to sit down and trust that you are working behind the scenes in ways that we could never have even imagined. So God, help us to just lean into this as we talk through this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen.